Praise God. Um, I see you're all still here. Uh, I don't know what that means. Either uh, we're really bad and some folks that we don't know that are pretty good made it and we didn't. Uh, I, I want you to know that truly, this is the truth. I called my mom's house last night. I said, Phyllis, is mom still in the house? <laughs> I just, I just want to know if there is, I just want you to know this is confidence I have in my mother's walk with God. If there is one, she will be in it. And so I just want to know if she's still here, I'm okay. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> wow. Can you say no man knows the day or the hour? Wow. You know, I, uh, gosh, I don't want to throw stones or even take any length of time on that this morning other than just to say it's time we probably re-examine the word and lay all of our, our schemes and our prophetic charts down and just go back and say, okay, God, will you teach me afresh? Because it's apparent 150 years of predictions that have all been missed. Somebody's in the equation. I don't care how much you guarantee your math. That's what he said. He's, he says, oh, it even doesn't happen. I'm telling you, it's going to happen. He said, well, obviously, yes, Jesus is coming back someday, and we believe in that. And wherever he goes, I'm going to go with him, wherever he's going to take us. So um, just glad to be here today, glad to have you. Uh, you know, the, the thing that bothers me about that is that the mocking that the body will take for the next couple of days. Uh, but the great thing is that it's actually going to open some conversations with some unbelievers. And so that's what we need to be ready for. And just, you know, we're, we're not going to be bullying anybody or anything like that or not even making fun of Mr. Camping. He's a brother who just basically has interpreted some things incorrectly. And uh, if he were to walk in the building this morning, we'd receive him and put our arms around him and go, man, we love you, brother. It's, everybody misses it. So it's just, you know, it's kind of bad when you stick your neck on the line and you spend millions putting up billboards all over the place. That's the only problem with that. Anyway, so today we want to jump in. And uh, y'all all still love me, don't you? All right. Um, I don't. Let me pull up my message notes today. I'm excited about this. Uh, I... I asked Abby to sing Man in the Mirror for me because it's one of my favorite 90s songs. That's when music really was music. And um, I'm, I'm just kidding. Uh, and even if you're not a Michael Jackson fan, uh, it's a powerful song with fantastic words. He did not write it himself. Actually, a lady, a female artist who was a writer, was on the way to work one day, and she was just really down because of all the stuff that was going on in the world around her, and she sees the homeless and all these problems. You know, and basically, she's a Christian. She's praying, God, I really wish you'd fix this thing. And about the time she says, what's it going to do to change it? She catches a glimpse of herself in the rearview mirror of her car, and she hears the line, I'm starting with the man in the mirror. And so he took it and made it famous. Chris Allen, who was the worship leader from Rick Bazette's church, last year did a remake of it in, uh, when he won American Idol. And so I asked, said, Abby, please... I, I'm just not Michael Jackson, Dad. I said, well, I know that, but I'll just make it our own. And I want you to do this. And so she, she did that this morning. And that's, I did it because this is the title of the message today, The Man in the Mirror. Um, about a one-minute review. First message this month, the first Sunday in May, we preached on the finished work of the cross. We talked about a finished sacrifice. By the way, I just want to say how thrilled I am to see my dear, dear, dear friend, Jerome Offord, back in the church with us today. This is his fifth week of recovery after lung surgery, so I'm glad you're here, brother. Finished work of the cross. Jesus finished the sacrifice. He finished the victory over Satan. He finished the payment in full for our salvation. So that was done 2,000 years ago. 
Second message, we jumped into the new creation man. We asked the question, okay, I make a fresh start. I'm a new creature in Christ. Really, just what does that mean? How is that going to make me a better employee on Monday morning or a better employer or a better husband or a better wife or a better parent or a better child, a better student, a better teacher? Wherever you are in your station in life, really, what difference does that make? And we're trying to wrestle this stuff down out of the theological stratosphere. And we're trying to put it firmly, planting our feet on the ground so that we can give some real practical answers to, okay, what difference does it make? It makes a very real difference because your belief affects your behavior and how you think about yourself if you can learn to agree with what God thinks about you. It's really not significant what others think. It's what does God think about you? And if you can learn to live out of that, think the thoughts of God after him and live out of what God thinks about you, it will radically change your life, okay? Uh, we talked about a new identity. We talked about a new standing, which is righteousness. That's the word righteousness itself. And we talked about a whole new nature inside of you. You're driven by something. You're, the impulse that you have now is to do the right thing. You can try to do what you used to do, and you might even do it and follow through, but you can't enjoy it anymore because there's something on the inside of you that's drawing you toward the righteous side. That's the new nature inside you. Last week, my dear friend Chip Bueller, long friend of 15 years or so, preached for us last Sunday, did a spectacular job, and he showed us that the finished work of the cross of Jesus cross at Golgotha at Calvary 2,000 years ago paid for the penalty of sin and it dealt with the power of Satan. But now I need to die on my cross daily so that I can deal with the person of self. The penalty of sin, the power of Satan was dealt with 2,000 years ago. I have to still deal with my human personality and the way I am if I'm naturally impatient, God wants to produce in me the fruit of peace and patience and kindness and forbearance. And sometimes I have to experience some things to begin to work that in me. And so meekness is the product of taking up my cross daily. It's self-forgetfulness. Remember what we learned last week? Chip did a great job teaching us. Selflessness is not thinking less of myself, but it's thinking of myself less. See, so many times we think to be spiritual that we have to almost walk around in an inferior funk, a kind of haze of, oh, woe is me. And that's not righteous because God says that you're more than a conqueror. He says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. He says, he's the God who works all things together for your good because he called you before the foundation of the world and because you love him, you are called and chosen. Now, you got to walk out the faithful part, Okay. All of these things that the Word says about you, you begin to learn to, to agree with them. And I feel like I'm just a little bit hot. And I'm not talking about my look. I'm talking about my voice. I don't know why y'all are laughing at that. <laughs> How can I actually... Thank you. That's great. How can I actually start to walk in these principles? Now, I'm a teacher-preacher. I teach it. I give you some substance. Then we shout about it. So today, I'm deliberately gearing back a little bit. Because I've got eight principles that I want to give you, and I'm already seven minutes into, into a 20-minute message. So here we go. If you would stand with me one more time, please, and let's take the time to read our text together out of James chapter 1. James chapter 1. And the Bible says, every good gift and perfect gift is from above 
coming down. Let's read it together. Here we go, everybody. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness, there it is, the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Verse 22, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Bow your heads with me, please, for a word of prayer. Gracious and great God, Thank you for the privilege of being called your children. Behold, what manner of love is this that the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Thank you, Jesus, today that that's not by our own work or merit or righteousness or anything we've earned, but, Lord, it is all based upon everything that your, G your Son, Jesus Christ, has done for us. Thank you today that as we come to your word that you open our ears. I acknowledge before this people that I cannot do anything apart from you. We say, oh God, we can't do anything apart from you. But Lord, with you, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Holy Spirit, you're the only teacher. Move and speak. Turn light bulbs on in our thinking today. Illuminate our minds. Give us eyes to hear, eyes to see, and ears to hear that we can perceive and understand the word of the Lord and be everything you've called us to be in Jesus' name and all of God's people said. You may be seated together in the presence of the Lord. Principle number one, since God is unchanging, I must change. Since God is unchanging, I have to change. Say that with me. Since God is unchanging, I have to change. We live in a culture that is shifting. Uh, everything is based on relativity. Anytime, typically, that a philosophical philosophical worldview is developed from a true scientific principle. Einstein basically set Newtonian physics on its ear and he posited the whole concept of the theory of relativity in light and travel. But where it went awry is when the sociologists took it and then moved it over into relationships and basically said there is no standard, there's no absolute and what, you, what they've forgotten to realize is that light still travels at 186,000 miles per second. It has a standard. It's an absolute. Our culture is shifting. It's built on sand, and it's literally in quicksand. Forgive me. I'm, I'm not a judgmental kind of guy. I don't, um, I, I don't want to preach any kind of a condemnation, but the reality is this culture is going to hell in a handbasket. And we desperately need a revival. Now, I'm, I'll be honest with you. It would have blessed my socks off if, if I'd have just left these shoes yesterday and I could go and be with Jesus. It, could, it would fix every problem that I have. But he didn't, and I'm still here. So i got to figure out how to live on this side. Everybody is going to 
stand in the cosmic principles office at some point in your life when you're personally called and you breathe your last breath. And, you know, my, my, my question is, if it had happened, would you have been ready? Is your heart right with God? So I want to talk about that a little bit this morning, too. Because God is unchanging. I have to change. His word, the Bible says in Psalm 119, is forever settled in heaven. Psalm 119, verse 168. Thy word, I think it's verse 89, I'm sorry. Thy word is forever settled in heaven. It is not changing. It doesn't shift like the sands of time. We have a God. Every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. God is not like a weather vane that just points in whatever direction the latest opinion poll, the wind that is blowing. God give us real leadership in communities and on the state and the national and federal level and on the global level, men who will live by conviction, men who will live by principle and won't shift with every varying change of the popular opinion polls. Since God is unchanging, I have to change. Number two, by his will, we've been made a whole new race of his creatures. We talk about being a new creation in Christ. It is a literally, Jesus Christ is the prototype. We, we preach this the whole month of, of, of the Easter celebration of the resurrection. He's the firstborn among many brethren. He's the firstborn from the dead. He's the firstborn over all creation. Firstborn implies that there are those that follow in line. A secondborn and a thirdborn and 120born on the day of Pentecost. And Peter goes out possessed by the Spirit of God like a, like a, a man possessed by God himself. And he preaches and 3,000 more were born that day. And they continue to add to the church as many as God began to add. And through the, through the history, through years, God has been pouring out his Spirit upon all flesh and multitudes of people have been swept into the kingdom of God. So your number in there somewhere is when you were born. And let me tell you, God knows exactly what it is. He who knows the very numbers of hair on your head. He who knows your address and where you live. He who knows the situation, the circumstances that you're facing. He's the same one who birthed you by the same DNA that he injected into his son Jesus when he was born as a baby by a virgin in a manger in Bethlehem. Of his own will, he begot us. To be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. The Greek word kind there is the Greek word tis, and it literally means species. Your eighth grade and tenth grade or tenth or eleven, whatever it is, your tenth grade biology class, that was when I had it in high school. They taught us that everything was divided into kingdoms. Isn't that interesting? Kingdom, phylum, order, class, family, genus, species, seven classifications. You remember that from your biology class? Kingdom, phylum, order, class, family, genus, species. Literally, this is the Greek word right here. When you were born into the kingdom of God, you became part of a whole new species. A whole new kind of human on the planet. God injected DNA of the very spirit of the Father on the inside of you. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which lives and abides forever. And what I'm telling you this morning is there's something on the inside of you that cannot die. There's something on the inside of you that cannot fail. There's something on the inside of you that won't let you quit. The DNA of the Father is on the inside of you. He birthed you by his own will to be a whole new species of a whole new race. Number three, the righteousness of God cannot be produced by the anger of man. Listen to the word. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. 
you cannot get aggravated enough with yourself and white-knuckle yourself into the way you need to act. You can't break your addiction by turning over a new leaf or by conforming to what everybody else is doing or reforming yourself in your own strength and your own power. Religion is all about beating you up. Jesus is not a wife abuser. Jesus does not beat his bride. Some of you are looking at me like, where in the world is he going with this? Jesus, you are the bride of Christ. I'm looking this morning at Mrs. Jesus Christ. And your husband does not beat you. He does not verbally abuse you. He's trying to tell you how wonderful and everything that he has died to give you so that you could be all that he's called you to be. He looks at you and he says, I, yes, when I do come back, I'm coming back for a glorious church, for a bride without spot or wrinkle. I've had some folks over the years who got in here and they hear the word and they hear the power of the finished work and they hear the whole new creation message but yet, bless their hearts, they've grown up with such a denominational mindset and they feel like they've got to have a dose of how low down, no good they are every Sunday. And if they hadn't gotten a good beaten up and their toes aren't bloody, when they go home, they feel like they hadn't had church and haven't had a chance to worship God. And maybe it's because they're worshiping an angry God. And I want to tell you, God who loves you is not angry with anybody in this room this morning. He poured all of his fury and his wrath and his anger out on his beloved son. One of my favorite periods of history is the French Revolution. I, and I took weeks to teach it at Arkansas State when I was teaching world civilization. And it's just the overthrow of everything that has to do with any kind of law or order of chaos. It was the move toward anarchy. There was one very famous person, the Marquis de Sade, extremely perverted, examining and attempting and experiencing everything in the sexual arena of perversion that you could possibly imagine. It's his name, Sade, where we get the word sadism. And those that are sadistic have this particular liking for, for being beaten or punished or put into bondage or all kinds of just weird perverted ideas. And I'm making you uncomfortable by even talking about that kind of an idea or that philosophy of life. But I want to tell you, there is a spiritual sadism that pervades many times the fundamentalist church because they feel like that they've got to beat the bride of Christ to whip her into shape. And I'm going to tell you, as the bride of Christ, you have a husband who loves you. And I'm going to say it again, I already did. He does not abuse his wife in any kind of way. You can take out your whips and your chains and your daggers and you can beat yourself and you can flagellate yourself just like Martin Luther was doing 500 years ago when he was wearing hair shirts and he was fasting for long periods of time and he was flagellating himself and beating himself because he was wrestling with his very own sin because he had never been truly born again and transformed into a new creation. And he was looking, he was yearning, he was hungry. And he was doing it through every available means that man would bring and religion would lay out for him. And he was doing the whole sadistic, masochistic kind of an idea. And I want to tell you, he got a revelation that the anger of man can never produce the righteousness of God. And he started to see that the just shall live by faith. And God radically changed him and challenged him. And he began to preach a message that set the whole Christian world on its ear upside down. One simple truth, the just shall live by faith. You cannot get angry enough with yourself to make yourself do what you know you need to do. It only comes through what I'm going to teach you this morning. Are you hearing this? Come on, say amen. At least make me think you're listening. 
because this is some really good stuff. Number four, receive the word with meekness, and it saves our souls. Man, I got to, ooh, I got to go real quick. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. That's self-forgetfulness. I put aside all of my preconceived notions and I just come to God and I go, this is not about me, it's about you. Reveal yourself in me. All the promises of God that you say about me, I'm going to quit living out of the idea of what everybody else thinks about me or even what I think about myself, but I'm going to just say, Jesus, wipe the slate clean and tell me from your word what you think about me now as the new creation in Christ. And then when I do that, I have to act on principle number five, reception, receiving. Reception without action produces deception. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount quickly tells us that there are two people sitting in the crowd today. He says that there are folks who hear, all of you are hearing. He said there's two kinds. There's one man who hears the word and he does it. He puts it into practice. He's like a man who digs down deep into rock and he lays the foundation of his house on the rock. And when the rains come down and the floods come up and the storms of life beat against that house, his house stands firm. It's not if the storms come. It's when the storms come. Your life will have them. My life will have them. We will all be tested by the storms of life. There's another kind of person in the crowd. This man hears the word, but he does not put them into practice, and he goes and just builds his house and sets it on the sand. What is sand? But it's little bitty tiny particles of the whole rock that have all been broken up. And it's basically living my life out of a few of my favorite scriptures, Jeremiah 29, 11 and Romans 8, 28. And, you know, whatever the favorite ones are, but I'm not building on a piece of the solid rock. Jeremiah 29, 11 is so true. The plans I have for you, declares the Lord, are plans to prosper you, not to harm you. I have thoughts of peace toward you, not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. But guess what? Everything before 29, 11 is for you as well. Seek the peace of your city. Everything that is around Romans 8, 28 is something you need as well. Not just, God, thank you that you're going to work out this whole mess for my good, Jesus. Just kind of laying back in a case, sirrah, sirrah, mentality or a little bit of an attitude. God wants you to take some action. Look at your neighbor and say, get up! <laughs> but be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Say this. Say this after me. Repeat this. The knowledge of a thing is not the possession of that thing. Say it together, everybody. Here we go. The knowledge of a thing is not the possession of a thing. There's nothing more classic than a seminary professor who can teach you the theology of the new birth but has never been born again himself. You can know about it, but until you've experienced it, every objective truth of the Bible has a subjective experience that is to be personally applied to your life. The knowledge of a thing is not the possession of it. Number six my natural face is my Genesis face, the face of my birth. The Greek word for natural right there is Genesis. I love it. Jesus says, or rather, I'm sorry, through, I guess it is the spirit of Jesus who's speaking through the apostle James, and he tells us that a guy who is a hearer of the word and not a doer is a fellow who goes and he looks at his mirror on the wall and he leaves forgetting what manner of man he was. That man will not be blessed in his doing because he didn't remember now, 
My natural face is my Genesis face. That's the face of my birth. Now, let me just say something to you. The reason I'm taking the time to break this down this morning is because so many of us have grown up in fundamentalist churches, and we've been taught from this passage that the idea is that you go to the Bible, and you open it up, and you look at the mirror. Everybody say, the mirror is the word. Say, the word is the mirror. Okay, so we go, and we open our Bibles, and we're supposed to go and look and see everything that's wrong with us. Everything that is about the sin of the old nature and it's the habits, it's the desires, it's lust, it's all this stuff that's there on you. And I'm going to tell you something, uh, that is not a proper understanding of what is being taught in this passage. The face of your birth, because you're a new creation in Christ, your Genesis face now is the face of Jesus. You're supposed to go to the mirror and look to see Jesus be revealed. You're not supposed to go to the Word and get your whips and chains out, get ready to flagellate yourself and get angry because remember the anger of man can't work the righteousness of God into you. I heard it growing up. I was taught this. And it wasn't until God grabbed me and I just, I could not, I hated James when I was a kid and there was something happened to me in college. I grabbed James and it, James is all about practical Christianity and it just came alive on the inside of me and something began to work and move and I saw from this passage literally that the mirror was reflecting my Genesis face. That's the face of my birth, the face of my origin. Well, guess what? We're not looking at the face of Adam any longer because I'm not in Adam now. I'm in Christ. I'm in this whole new company where everything's been made alive. I'm not over here where everything's decaying and dying but I've been brought I have been delivered from the power of darkness and I've already been translated into the kingdom of his dear son Colossians chapter 1 verse 13 and 14 giving thanks to the father who makes us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light that's me that's my company that's my people some folk think they need to have a good beating or they hadn't been to church I want to tell you, we'll pray for wife beaters around here. But this pastor is not going to beat the bride of Christ. Now, we may administer love in an accountability kind of way if an individual needs it. But I'm going to tell you something. I've always thought for years, why is it that you go to an evangelical or a fundamentalist church and you got a room full of people who 90% of them have made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ and yet you're preaching constantly you know good, you know good. It's like Linda Ronstadt's in the choir. Baby, I'm going to sing it again. You know good, you know good. Baby, you know good. I know I just dated myself when I said that. Some of you go, who is Linda Ronstadt? Well, she said that. You know good, you know good. You know what? There's a balance of this whole unworthy thing. I'm not worthy of anything that God would give to me, but yet he saw something in me that was significant enough that he was willing to give his precious only begotten son so that I could be joined back to him. So in one sense, I'm not worthy, but in another sense, God sees some incredible value in me and you. Are you hearing me? See, there's always a balance to that. And if, if you always sing that, oh, I'm so no good, low down, kind of, a, you know, kind of a sinful idea, guess what? You live out of that and you project out of that and your mentality's out of that and your belief affects your behavior. Are you with me this morning? Oh, man, I'm, I'm, I'm over worse than I was in the first one. Okay, number seven, the purpose of the gaze is to reveal Christ. Listen. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Listen. Two other verses. Take these down in your notes. 2 Corinthians 3.18. 
This is the King James. Hear it. But we all with open face beholding as in a glass. What's the glass? Everybody say the mirror. What's the mirror? It's the what? The word. We all with open face beholding as in a glass. The glory of the Lord are changed from glory to glory. We're changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. This is a principle. What you behold, you become. Say it with me. What I behold, I become. If your view and image is a God who is angry with you, that's what's produced a lot of angry Christians who look like they've been sucking on a persimmon and baptized in pickle juice. I love Jesus. Yes, I do. I love Jesus. How about you? Do you love him? Praise God. What are you looking at? I have the joy of the Lord. And they're just, they're just in pain. And they're, they're living out of this, i got to make sure, oh God, if I've missed it even the least little bit, and I die tonight, I'm going to bust hell wide open. I want to go, honey, if you're his child, let's, let's get some, some confidence that he's a father who doesn't give up on you. Come on, somebody. 2 Corinthians 4, 6, and 7. For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness hath shined in our hearts to give the light, the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Say this with me. Jesus' face is inside me. The knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ is now inside your earthen vessel. That is the treasure that God has deposited into you. Therefore, when you go to the mirror of the word and you go to open it up and you see, you're not looking. You're not on a witch hunt. You're not on a, on a sin crusade. But you're going to look and see the glory of the one who loves you and called you by his name and who gave his blood for you. You're going to look and see his image growing on the inside of you. Come on, somebody. That begins to build into you a righteousness consciousness and it starts to deal with your old man sin consciousness. Because if you buried him in baptism, honey, we celebrated his death. He's gone. The stuff you're dealing with today, you can't blame on the past. You can't blame on the devil. Many times it's just self and I've got to get in the word. All right. Listen to this passage. Come on, Pastor Alex, and give me some questions. Listen to this passage we started with from the book of, uh, from the message. Here we go. So, my very dear friends, don't get thrown off. Don't get thrown off course. Every desirable and beneficial gift comes out of heaven. The gifts are rivers of light cascading down from the Father of light. There is nothing deceitful in God, nothing two-faced, nothing fickle. He brought us to life using the true word, showing us off as the crown of all his creatures. Post this at all your intersections, dear friends. Lead with your ears and follow up with your tongue and let anger straggle along in the rear. God's righteousness doesn't grow from human anger. So throw all spoiled virtue and cancerous evil in the garbage. In simple humility, let our gardener, God, 
landscape you with the word, making a salvation garden in your life. Don't fool yourself into thinking that you're a listener when you're anything but letting the word go in one ear and out the other. Act on what you hear. Those who hear and don't act are like those who glance in the mirror, walk away, and they have no idea who they are and what they look like. Now see, you go to the mirror of the word now, you're going to see the new creation face of Jesus Christ, your Genesis face. You don't walk away from this book and forget who you are. But whoever catches, last, last passage, here we go. But whoever catches a glimpse of the revealed counsel of God, the free life, even out of the corner of his eye and sticks with it, is no distracted scatterbrain, but a man or a woman of action. That person will find delight and affirmation in the action. Look at your neighbor and say, be hearers and doers of the word. The last point was this. The perfect law of liberty reveals the new creation man. Don't forget it. Act on it. Did you get something out of that this morning? Amen. All right, let's give the Lord praise. Come on. All right, so if you've got your phones, this is your official It's Okay to Text in Church notification. So the number on the screen, text your questions to the number on the screen, or if you're a tweeter, Twitter, uh, tweet your questions to at Victory Wired. So we're taking those right now. I just want to put an exclamation point on something he said. You know, as believers in, in Jesus Christ and, and having that imputed righteousness in us and on us, we should walk in confidence. I mean, we, we should not walk around defeated, right? We are children, sons and daughters of the living God. Yes. And we are to inherit the earth. Come on, brother. And so we should walk around, not with an arrogance, but with a confidence. That's I, just, it. I just appreciate you saying that so much because I think, you know, we need to hear that more often. Yes, sir. Thank you, Pastor. Um, here we go. I knew this one was coming. I mean, we even talked about it before. We, we kind of dodged a bullet in the 9 a.m. service, but check this out. <laughs> when the rapture does happen, uh, would the saved just vanish and then float up to heaven? Uh, or would the unsaved see everyone else fly up to heaven? How does it start? And if you don't want to try it, I want it. Well, first of, all, first of all, let me just say, if I can answer this in one minute, I am not a dispensationalist. If you follow my Facebook, you know that I fight it. It, has, it was an emerging idea that came in the 1800s at the same times that all the cults emerged, the Jehovah's Witnesses, the Mormons, uh, Mary Baker Eddy with Christian science, spiritism, all this kind of stuff. Dispensationalism teaches that God's main plan is with Israel and his plan B is the church. When the scripture says his eternal purpose is in Christ Jesus... It teaches the idea that there is going to be a secret rapture of the church that pulls all of us out of here so that God can renew his main plan, get the church out of the way, and he renew his main plan with national Israel. And again, I don't believe the Bible teaches plan A or plan B. God just has one plan. Okay. Now, I believe that when Jesus comes, all eyes, all flesh will see him. This, this is the issue. The, the dispensationalist teaches there's a secret rapture, which, in, which literally, technically makes the second coming become the third coming, which is not biblical. Okay? So I just want you to know, when he shows up, all eyes are going to see him. Are we going to lift up off the planet? The scripture says we will be caught up. It doesn't say we'll be caught away. It says we'll be caught up to meet the Lord together with him in the air. And the Greek word for caught up literally is the idea that you go out of your house to meet the governor who's showing up and you bring him back in with you. 
Now, let me just say this. Eschatology is a non-essential of the faith. You can have varied ideas and be a part of victory because we do not make this an issue here. Your eschatology, your belief about the end times, is not a litmus test for fellowship. We will embrace you no matter what your millennial scheme, premillennial, amillennial, postmillennial, whether you're a dispensationalist, pre-tribulation rapture person. I personally don't believe that can be backed up in the Word. No matter how crazy you are, we're going to love you. We love you. This kind of thing does not make a difference in your salvation. I have brothers who are in every one of those camps who love Jesus and they can all proof text from the word their idea. This is the reason we have so much dif- differentiation about this or a lot of different ideas about it. It's why John MacArthur can love God and be a premillennialist. It's why R.C. Sproul can love God or D. James Kennedy and be an amillennialist. Some of you don't even know what I'm talking about. And it's not fine. I don't have I time. Don't. I don't have time to answer what those words are. But let me just say this. Even if we do leave here for seven years, we're coming right back. We are going to inherit the earth. Heaven is coming down to the earth. If you read Genesis, I mean, sorry, Revelation 22, the new Jerusalem is coming down out of heaven from God to the earth. Heaven is coming here. The whole point is in the new creation, the finalization of it is that God is going to cause heaven and earth to kiss together and there's going to be the writing of everything. We will live in a place wherein dwells righteousness, a new heavens and a new earth. The meek will inherit the earth. That's the reason I don't, I want to be left behind. I tag on to that. Please. First, I just want to say, do you realize what a blessing it is to have this man right here? With this level of, of biblical knowledge to teach us these things, I just want to say thank you, Mike, for your years of studying the Word of God and, and to be able to articulate that is just amazing to me. Uh, and so I was going to answer. I've been building a set of wings at my house. Man, i got like these glider things and i got feathers on it and all that. But no, really. First uh, Thessalonians 4.16 says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command and the voice of an archangel with the sound of the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Yes. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together, as Mike said, with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So my answer is this. Yes. I believe the Bible teaches the coming of the Lord. It just does not teach the departure of the saints. So when he comes, I'm going with him wherever he wants to take me. But when you really understand the Greek language, it's the idea of going up to meet him and then bringing that dignitary back down, and he takes dominion. He's not coming to take sides. He's coming to take over. That's right. So much. Let me just say this, and let me, let me say this. If I, if I make you ask more questions, because I'm not your answer man, But if I make you ask more questions and it drives you into the Word to study it for yourself and to pray and seek God and say, Holy Spirit, teach me, then I've really accomplished what I'm supposed to do. So much of our view of heaven has been built by really misinformed Southern gospel songs. I mean, I'm sending up boards. What's that about? I've got a mansion. Or just, you know... Just build, build my little you know, hut in the corner of glory somewhere, and everybody thinks they're going to get a mansion, and man, I don't want to stop taking time on that. But if, if everybody's going to get a 40-room house, what are you going to do with yours? And Don has one, and Abby has one, and I have one. What are all those rooms for? You're not going to sleep because there's no night, and we've got resurrected bodies. Just over the hilltop. Baby. In my father's house are many rooms. There's a dwelling place for you. It's going to be a place, a great place of acceptance and affection. Let me just say this. This has so been grabbed in America because we are so materialistic and we, we want to walk on a golden street. 
And let me, I believe there's a spiritual understanding and a meaning to that, and I'm not allegorizing all of it and doing away with it. Let me tell you, heaven is real. Heaven is very real. I'm just telling you, it's, if you just read your Bible, Revelation 22 says it's coming down here to us. And out of the spirit into the natural, out of the invisible into the visible realm. And my whole job is to not get you to heaven, but to get heaven into you. That's right. Come on. That's my job. Now, say this, and you can ask the next question. I hath not seen, ear hath not heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Anything you've had an idea, those great old gospel songs won't even touch what heaven is going to be like. It's going to be that much better. That's right. That's All right? right? Are you hearing All me? Right. I'm not taking heaven away from you. I'm just saying our ideas about it are not anywhere near complete. That's all I'm saying. All right, check it out. They're keeping it coming here. I just want to say I don't want to, I don't want to go pay road. I want a red Ferrari. That's just me. Um, it says, I love my God. I know I do, but I feel like I'm not opening up and receiving him. I feel like I'm walking away from the mirror. I have been saved, but I feel like when I die, will I go to heaven? Uh, you know, if you believe you won't, then probably there's an issue here that needs to be dealt with, and God can deal with that in your heart this morning. He will give you what we call the assurance of salvation. Romans 8.15 says, His Spirit, the Spirit of the Lord, capital S. And if you've ever noticed it in your Bibles... You'll see sometimes spirit will be little s, sometimes spirit will be capital S. When it's capital S, it means the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God. When it's little s, it means your human spirit. Okay? His spirit bears witness with our spirit. And if you read it, it's capital S with little s. The spirit, it's himself, bears witness with our spirit that we are heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ Jesus, that we are his children. We've not been given again the spirit of bondage again to fear, but we've been given the spirit of adoption, weothesia, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. If you've asked him to come into your heart, he will give you confidence and assurance that you are his child, you are his daughter. And you know what? It's not whether you feel like it or not because there's some days I can remember when I was a teenager that I, I'm sure my dad didn't feel like I was his son. Somebody dropped, the stork dropped that idiot kid into the wrong box. Speak. But you know what? He made up his mind to keep loving me and I'm thankful for that and he disciplined me and he was with me. You may not feel like you're a child of God, but if you've trusted by faith, by grace through faith, it's not about how you feel at the moment because you may feel differently when you walk out of this room today. And feelings change. Facts are facts. Are you hearing me? That's right. Pray and deal with it and say, God, give me assurance and then move from there from then on. All right, I think we can get one more squeezed in here. This is, this is sort of a... Why didn't y'all make a comparison between yesterday and Noah's Ark? Yesterday? I guess, the, I guess they're referring to the rapture. The rapture? You know what? That's a great question. That's a good point. I love that. Do you know that when all of these, and I'm just going to go ahead and, and, and I'm, I'm not going to name names. I started to, but I'm not. When you listen to all of them on the Christian TV network, and they're prolific, they all point to Matthew 24, and it says, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. Now, notice it didn't say it would be in the days of Elijah. Elijah was raptured up. But in the days of Noah, Noah preached for 120 years righteousness. You better repent. It's going to rain. Never seen it before. Rain? What's that? He's building an ark. 
God's given him some gopher wood. He's got plans. That whole plan and the dimension and every bit of it is all a picture of Jesus Christ, our ark of safety. And he goes and gets representatives from the whole creation and he brings them into the ark. And the very same element that swept away the righteous, I mean, I'm sorry, that swept away the wicked, they didn't leave the planet. They were there to see it. Psalm 91 says, with my eye will I see the reward of the wicked. I tell you what, let's... uh, Let's, let's just take a second here. All right, is this all right? I, I know we're on the verge here in terms of finishing the service, but I'm going to pull up a couple of scriptures, and I just want to see how these things square with some of our ideas regarding who's leaving. One's taken, one is left. Who is that? Don't answer. Don't say it out loud. Who was taken? Well, when you really understand how Noah preached and you look at Matthew 24 and you go back to Genesis 6, it says literally the wicked were the ones who didn't know what had happened until they were all swept away. The ones that were swept away weren't the righteous in a rapture, but it was the wicked that were taken in judgment. And the very same element that judged the wicked buoyed the righteous up in the boat so that they could get out of it in 150 days and step onto a new heavens and a new earth and inherit it like the meek are called. That's what God is saying to us. Listen to this out of the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 2. Pull this up real quick. Listen, Proverbs 2. Take these notes down. Check them out. You do what the Bereans did in Acts 17.11. Search the scripture yourself and see if these things be so. Proverbs 2.20, so you will walk in the way of the good and keep the paths of the righteous. For the upright will inhabit the land and those with integrity will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land and the treacherous will be rooted out of it. Okay? If you're with me, say amen. Amen. Let's get Proverbs chapter 10 and let's uh, write down verse 30. I'm reading out of my Bible. I know it looks like I'm just dealing technology, but this is the Bible. The righteous will never be removed. Huh? That's what it says. But the wicked will not dwell in the land. Well, I guess that doesn't square with a, a secret rapture that pulls me out of here for seven years. Then, Otherwise, there is a contradiction in the Bible. All right. Let's, uh, are you okay? How about Psalm 37? Let's look at Psalm 37. And this is that great passage. Fret not yourself because of evildoers, but be envious. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord and trust in him and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Just let this word minister to you right now. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. Hmm. Verse 10. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. That's the reason I don't throw trash down because that's, that's my property out there. 
I, I'm going to inherit this place. That's the reason we need to be Christian environmentalists, because we need to be taking better care of the place. Uh, that one didn't go over too well. <laughs> the wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him, but the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he sees that his day is coming. The wicked draw the sword and bend their bows to bring down the poor and needy to slay those whose way is upright. Their sword shall enter their own heart and their bows shall be broken. Better is the little that the righteous has than the abundance of many wicked. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. The wicked shall perish. The enemies of the Lord are like the glory of the pastures. They vanish like smoke. They vanish away. The steps of a man... Look at this. For, for those blessed by the Lord shall inherit the land, but those cursed by him shall be cut off. The steps of, of man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. Somebody get that as a promise today. Somebody needs that in this room. I have been young and now I'm old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. He is ever lending generously and his children become a blessing. Turn away from evil and do good, so you shall dwell forever. For the Lord loves justice. He will not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever. But the children of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell upon it forever. I could go on and on and on and on. This is all over the word, people. And it's unfortunate that we have a system that has been given to us that keeps setting wrong dates because the whole system is faulty. Now, I'm going to say this again for the hearing impaired. I believe in the coming of the Lord. Jesus is coming back. And when he comes, all flesh shall see him. Now, he's coming as a thief in the night. And that's the whole point of no man knows the day nor the hour, not even the angels in heaven, only the Father. This is why I tell you, be ready for him if he comes before the end of this service. But go out of here and make good decisions like you've got another hundred years to live and to bless the generation of your grandchildren. Yeah. Build your business. Come on, get some wisdom about money and finance. Think future. Think generational transfer. When I was a teenager in high school, I sat at a round table with a bunch of preachers that I thought were next to God, and one of them said to me, college, don't go to college, the rapture will happen before you even graduate high school. And thank God I didn't listen to that idiocy. Are you hearing what I'm saying? I have a good friend whose dad is a lawyer up in Missouri, and they bought a farm, and he always wanted to have a pecan orchard. And they're a year there, they're two years there, and they turn around and said, man, I sure wish we had a pecan orchard. And before you know it, they'd been living on that, on that ranch for seven years, and they said, you know what, if we'd planted the first year we were here, we'd be bearing pecans right now. The whole idea of an any-minute imminent rapture many times keeps you living without thinking for the future. You don't plan. You don't think about your children's children. Are you understanding what I'm saying? Now, this is the deal. Be ready for him to come get you any second, but make sure you plan your life. This is the whole deal that I try to bring to bear with everybody. If we would just do what Jesus says, occupy until he comes instead of being preoccupied with when he's coming. Are you hearing me? 
then we can do something. Now, this comes down to this point right here. I probably created more questions than you have answers for today, and that's fine. I just want to ask you, are you in a place where you have confidence that the Son is alive in your heart? Because if there would have been a coming of the Lord yesterday, would you be ready to meet Him? Because every one of us, at some point in time, either when we die or if in our lifetime the Lord does return, and I truly with all of my heart believe Jesus is coming back, whether it's in my lifetime or not, does not anywhere lessen the promise. Second Peter says, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness. For a day with the Lord is a thousand years, a thousand years is one day. And let me just say this to you. Just because we've had generations that have made bad predictions, don't let us slide into a mocking of it and think he's not coming back because he is coming back. And he's coming back with his vesture on his thigh dipped in blood and it says the word of God. And he's coming back not to take sides but to take over. And I just want to know, are you on his side? Are you on the Lord's side? When he comes, will you be with him in his presence? Because we're all going to stand before the judgment seat. Every head bowed, every eye closed. This morning you're in two places. You're either in Adam or you're in Christ. You have the Son or you don't. He that has the Son has life. He that has not the Son shall not see life. For the wrath of God abides on him already. Heaven is not only a future reality, it is a present reality. Some folks are living in it. God's come to deliver you out of it. Not just for your future, but for right now. And it's not just about taking you to heaven in the future. He wants to give you heaven on earth right now. So you can, where there was anger and frustration, God will inject heaven's peace into your heart. Somebody said, how can a loving God send anybody to hell? And I just want to turn it around and go, how can a holy God send any of us to heaven? I deserve hell. But I know that heaven is my home. If I die, I will be in the presence of the Lord. He is my Father. I'm His child. Do you have that confidence this morning? Every head bowed, every eye closed. I'm not going to embarrass anybody. I'm not going to call you to the front. But I would ask you right now, if you would like to be included in this prayer and you want to say, Pastor, I need to know in my heart that Jesus saved me. I want God to be my Father. I want Him to be Lord of my life. If you want to cross that line of faith, no longer living with any idea that you can be good enough to earn it because none of us can. It's by grace through faith, that any of us are saved. Heaven is a free gift. The wages of sin is death. You keep living out of your own ability, you get that paycheck, and it's the devil is a, is a paymaster who never misses a payday. The wages of sin is death, but the gift, the free gift of God, is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He's reaching to you this morning. He's calling you, brother, sister, by your name. You are his sheep. Hear his voice. If you want to be included in this prayer, slip your hand up right now. I want to pray for you. Anybody in this room? Yes, thank you. I see that hand. I see that one on the back back there. Two hands. Anybody else? Another one. I see the third one. Anybody else? All right, you're in the room this morning. You've heard this never in your life. Have you ever heard that you could go to the Word and actually look to see your Creator inside you, revealed in you? Jesus, the face of Jesus Christ, that you would look in the Word and not go to look for something bad or evil, but you would go to look for the new creation, the fruit of the Spirit, the work of God. And you say today, man, i got to have me some more of that. i got to have this kind of an understanding. I want to be able to walk in this kind of victory, really, truly put my past in the past. 
and be able to go to the Word and not walk away from it forgetting who I am now that I'm a new creation in Christ. And I want to walk in that kind of victory. If that's you this morning and you say, I need some of that, I want a fresh start, would you just slip your hand up right where you are? Yes, thank you. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you for this tremendous opportunity to try to bring the Word in a practical way to this people who loves you so much. Thank you for these three hands this morning who've said, I'm crossing the line of faith. I want to know that God is my Father and I am His child. Thank you today that you bring assurance of salvation, Lord, into the hearts of these. And Lord, for that person who asked that question today, Lord, bring a defining moment. Thank you that the Spirit, capital S, bears witness with every one of these human spirits that they are your children that this is a moment that changes them and transforms them forever for the rest of their lives. They begin the journey with you. Lord, for these today who've heard this and have said, man, I've never seen this in the Word before, teach me, Father, how to go to your Word and look for Jesus and not to look for everything that's wrong. But I can walk away from all that that's wrong if I'll just keep on beholding Him. I'll be changed into the same image from glory to glory. Minister to all of us. Help us to be the people of love that you've called us to be. By this shall all men know that we are your disciples if we have love one to another. Spirit of the living God, pour out your Holy Ghost upon this church so that we can be carriers, contagious, infected saints with the heavenly virus, Lord, that penetrates the whole delta and shakes it for the kingdom of God. I ask you for that in Jesus' name. Everybody said...